And we are recording. Welcome, Kevin. Thank, thank you so you much for taking for having me. Thank you so much for taking time out of your what I assume is a very busy life and schedule because you are taking on so much in the mental health world um, and have been for quite some time. So I would love to hear a little bit about you. I've been reading about you, but I would love to hear a little bit about your journey with Hurdle, but also your life um, in Washington, D.C. Wow. Well, first of all, thank you for uh, the invitation to be here today. It's, um, you know, um, I think, you know, part of my job is also telling my story, which is also how I got to this point of being focus on mental health. So it's a, you know, although these are really busy days, it's really important that I make the time to, to have these types of conversations because I think it's critical to um, the success of what we're, we're doing. And, and, and so I'm grateful for the opportunity. Um, but you asked a pretty loaded question and I'm not even sure um, where to begin. I, I guess I would say, you know, when I, when, when, in, when I was a young adult and I wanted, when I was thinking about what I wanted to be when I grew up, after sort of rejecting a couple identities, I decided that I wanted a career in public health. And I really made a commitment to myself to always be working on the most pressing public health issues of the day. And, um, and so that meant, you know, um, I worked on HIV AIDS, I worked on childhood obesity, I started my career in um, tobacco control, um, you know, doing a lot of work at the American Cancer Society. And, and professionally, I was consulting a few years ago, and I really started to think about mental health. And I particularly got really focused and um, almost sort of dogged about the mental health of Black men. And I really wanted to start to frame mental health as a as a public health priority um and that was sort of how I was thinking about it professionally and I made this correlation between unmanaged stress and untreated mental health issues and the low life expectancy of black men black men happen to have the lowest life expectancy of any um, population group in the U.S. and and so you know I thought that that was a pretty important issue and I was trying to raise attention to that issue with, um, you know, people who I was working with at the time, like major foundations, national associations. And I really couldn't get any traction in, in saying, this is a priority. We need to do something about it. And this. how long ago was this? This was like 10 years. So this, this thing has been evolving for probably about seven years. Okay. Right? Seven years. And by the yeah, way, Kevin, when you describe your younger life, it sounds like you're a superhero, just like going after the biggest enemies just like the tobacco industry, the like each one is massive, like childhood obesity. You were just like tackling the biggest enemies of humanity. And now it's almost like you landed on this one as a really big one. Yeah, it's funny. So I, I, I honestly didn't intend to. And it wasn't as strategic as it sounds like it was. And, you know, the story goes that you know, I kept trying to get people to pay a little attention to this issue. And I was working on these other issues, as we both just mentioned. And I was trying to grow my consulting practice. 
and work myself into mental exhaustion. And that period, that led to a period of depression. And um, I struggled to find a therapist who I could connect with. I would later learn that that was not unusual. In fact, 50% of African-Americans terminate therapy prematurely because of provider fit. That number is 33% of the general population. So my experience was not unique. But after my depression, I I mean, and my depression literally like paralyzed my professional life because I thought for a living. So if you're depressed and you think for a living, you know, it just doesn't work. And so after the depression, I thought that I would go back to um, my consulting practice and try to rebuild it. And, um, you know, my co-founder asked me this really um, life-changing question that that was on October the 24th of 2017. And he asked me, had I ever considered doing anything in digital health? And literally in that moment, my professional experience, like sort of my thinking and framing about mental health, as well as, you know, what I had recently experienced personally and sort of collided and, and Henry Health you know, we've since then rebranded to Hurdle, but in that moment, the company was born. That sounds like a lightning bolt connection of all the elements that were already there in your life, just suddenly making making sense and taking shape. Um, that's I also think that that's how life works. I mean, I think that is if if we will stop and pay attention to like what's really happening, there are always these nudges and sort of pushes that push us where we need to be into the place we need to be working with the people we need to be. We just have to sort of be sensitive enough to, to take the nudges. Did you feel, um, you know, working now for these past years, like people started finally listening to the things that you were talking about? Like how long did it take? I started in 2015 on my site, beautiful Voyager and you know, I, for the first few years, it just felt like people pitied me. <laughs> I was like, I'm interested this. I find this fascinating, but people yeah. like sort of pitied me and, but it's changed. So I'm wondering like how, how it changed for you. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for, you know, sharing that and your candor. Um, you know, when you, when you have an idea in the early days, you're right. People will pity you. They'll, they'll, they'll talk to you. Some people will outright ignore you because they, they know you're going to have an ask that they don't want to give, you know, deliver on. Um, and so, you know, for me, the, the first couple years of even just trying to stimulate the conversation, I found to be incredibly challenging. Um, and I think that was for a number of reasons. Number one, I don't think I was as skilled as telling um, my story as I am now. I mean, a lot of the the work you're, you're doing when you're trying to build a company is about storytelling. You, you need to be able to tell the story very concisely. So I don't believe that I was as skilled at telling my story as I should have been. And then secondly, um, the consciousness of the country, I say, was just not where it is today. Um, Because remember, we started our company super focused on serving Black men. 
Now, remember, I am trained as a public health person. So, you know, I always sort of think about disease control in the sense of who's the most vulnerable, right? So we see that even today, like with the pandemic, um, how we focused on seniors first, then we focused on people with pre-existing conditions. And we're just now sort of getting to a place where, you know, people above, all people above 18. And now because of the variance, it's pretty clear that we're going to have to even lower that to people um, uh, above 16. So you see, we, we, it's, it's all about prioritization. So for me, when I started Henry Health, it was really because I saw Black men as this most vulnerable population as it relates to mental health. Um, and to be honest with you, I just think it was really hard um, when you're that niche um, to get people's attention because people just didn't see it as a, as a problem that they could relate to or that they were particularly interested in solving. And so, you know, uh, last year, before the pandemic, we started to do some work around our brand. And the idea was that we would build communities and our first community was gonna be a community for black men. And that felt pretty good morally for me because it felt like I had not abandoned the idea of black men. And I was you know, finding a way to signal to investors that I, I was very interested in serving other populations, that the business could, could be a much bigger business. And so we started to do that work on the brand and then the pandemic hit. And then, you know, after the pandemic, what is it, maybe like a month and a half or two months later, um, the death of George Floyd happened. And, you know, the, the death of George Floyd, I think historically, we're going to look back at this period and we're going to realize that we went into this period of racial reckoning like none other. It's the only thing that would probably be equivalent would, would be the 60s, right? Um and so I think that for us as a company, what we were sort of saying about the mental health care system, all of a sudden, you know, although people knew it intellectually, right? They, they've always known this intellectually. The data is there. The data doesn't lie. But now the heart was connected to the hand. The consciousness was connected to the head, rather. And I think you know, something happened in that moment to help give the company more life. People understood that our mental health system at face value is not a system that works for everyone. It's just point blank. Like no one can make the, the argument. Number one, we know the system is highly flawed to begin with. But then number two, when you start to sort of peel back the layers of it and you think about sort of historically how the system was built. It was built for middle-class white families. You know, there, in the early days, people did not even believe that, believe that Black people had the cognitive awareness for therapy. Um, so these, these things are sort of deeply, deeply rooted. And, you know, the, the thesis of our company is that we need to reimagine what mental health looks like and we need to prepare therapists to support people who, do, who, who they may not have the bank of experiences in life to relate to culturally. 
So that's the thesis of our company. It's always been the thesis of our company. It's not changed. It's just now the consciousness of the country is different. And I think we know how to articulate that a little bit clearer. That's amazing. I mean, what an amazing journey in such a short period of time where you've always said the same thing, but now suddenly everyone is listening or more people are listening, more people are interested. I'm really interested just looking at the hurdle site and how you describe um, the clinical best practices on top of cultural responsiveness. Now, is that like a training that hurdle provide? Like, how does it work? Yeah, that's a great question. So first of all, I always say to my team, I am our first client, meaning like my experience. So, so much of what we do and how we do it is, is really rooted in my own personal mental health journey. And over the years, I've written about my own mental health um, and what it was like to experience depression. And, you know, for me, when I realized I was depressed, I went to my primary care physician um, and, and I was telling him that I was depressed. And he gave me like a seven page printout of there is three columns on each page. And it was literally just this game of like, okay, who am I going to choose? And long story short, um, I saw three therapists before I found um, Dr. Tony Spann, who would later come and help us set up the foundation of our company. And when Oliver asked me that question in October 24 of 2017, I went back to Tony uh, and said to him, hey, I know that there was something different about what you were doing with me in therapy. Um, what, you know, although I was depressed, like, you know, I knew that, like, okay, this dude was something different. Like I could tell. And he went on to tell me that he was using um, a technique. And now, you know, we work with the professor who created this technique and we train our therapists in this technique and the technique um, helps our therapists develop more humility and responsiveness. Because remember, as I pointed out earlier in our discussion, the provider fit, our, ther- our forming therapeutic alliance is, a, is, is the most difficult thing to overcome in the early days of therapy, like whether or not we can form a connection. And so our technique increases the responsiveness of the therapist and helps equip them with more humility. The truth of the matter is, right, like when we look at our mental health care system, less than 4% of our therapists in the country are people of color, right? So that means if, and certainly on the heels of the pandemic, mental health is, is the pressing public health issue. There's no doubt about it. So this means we have to equip our workforce with the ability to meet the needs of everyone. Like that is a fundamental must. And even more so, we need to be working on our pipeline to make sure that we can bring more providers of care into the workforce. Providers of color. I'm sorry, I said providers of care. No, I knew what you meant. That makes perfect sense. Kevin, something that's really resonating with me is how difficult it is 
for everyone to find a therapist that fits. For example, I went to five different therapists in my life, none of whom spotted that I had an anxiety disorder. I was suffering. I was physically suffering. I had all these other issues, but no one spotted it until a neurologist. And I am a white woman, a white middle-class woman. So I can just imagine how it's already a problem. And then you go to this next level of 4% of people and it becomes you know, an exacerbated problem. And I I find super interesting the fact that humility and responsiveness, understanding what to listen to is the core special sauce of what you're working to implement. And I, I just, I really applaud that. I think that is, that is, has been a missing piece in my lifetime. And, you know, many therapists have the right, all the right intentions. They are there for the right reasons. They just don't seem to always have the skill set to see a different reality or to tune in to get out of their own head and get into what's happening with the other person. And I'm not, I'm not sure why that is. I just know what my experience has been. So this work seems so, so important. If there was one thing, let's say that I share this with my audience, like what, what would you like people most to know about how to get involved with hurdle or, you know, what, what would you be looking for in terms of, um, reaching people? Are you hoping that therapists will join Hurdle? Like how, how does it work? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing your story. Um, when you shared your story, it remind, reminded me of a quote I read once that said um, that once you become aware of your own suffering, then and, and, and you're able to overcome it, then you can see so many others are suffering around you. And, you know, for me, that's what my depression has, was like or has been like. When I overcame my depression, I could look around and I could see people who were depressed and who didn't even know that they were depressed. And, you know, to be honest with you, had I not um, been so dogged in um, like my sort of public health understanding of mental health, I probably would have been dismissive of my own depression and just thought that, you know, quote, I was going through a bad phase in life or either, you know, um, um, religiously, I, I would have just probably equated it to, quote, the dark night of my soul. So so first of all, just I just want to say thank you for sharing your story. I think more of us who are honest about our own experiences we're going to help normalize this um but to your question yeah we're recruiting therapists and we're currently providing office uh, services in dc maryland and virginia we're laying down the foundation to expand to california massachusetts and we'll pick two more states for this year so certainly people who are interested therapists licensed professional therapists social workers who are interested in, in like our vision, they should visit our website and, and join us. And I think in a broader context, people who might listen to this conversation, um, you know, the, the broader message I think that's important to deliver right now is that we have been through a really difficult patch and um, anxiety, isolation, depression, like these numbers are skyrocketing now. 
And I think it's really important for all of us to reframe what we think mental health looks like. Like we need to reject the notion that um, mental health is only the most severe conditions that, you know, that anxiety, depression, isolation, that these are serious mental health issues that if they're not tended to, if you don't treat people with empathy as they're experiencing these issues, that, you know, they can lead to dangerous consequences. And so I think in a larger context, what I would say to people, even if people are not in our service territory, to be really aware of what's going on, not only with yourself, but certainly with your friends and loved ones. And that you can find help, even though it doesn't feel like it, even though you may have tried once or five times and you you didn't find that connection, that there are other ways to do it. And there are evidence-based strategies you know, it's, it does, it is, it's not easy. Many people do not find their right fit the first go around. And, but it's just, and that's such a hard thing to convince people because you're already vulnerable when you're trying to reach out for help, you're already beaten down. It's so hard to then like finally gather the courage to reach out and then have a bad, that's why I I think I still have a lot of baggage around therapy Mm -hmm. is like, you know, I reached out I didn't know what I was looking for. I wasn't able to say to the therapist, I have an anxiety disorder, please treat that. And therefore they weren't able to help me. And so I think, you know, I I completely understand why people avoid that or would feel like it isn't going to help. But I, I want voices like yours to be heard because it is possible to find people that you can relate to. And I would imagine many people feel when they see you and they hear you and talk to you, like that they can relate to you. So um, even though you're a superhero and you're fighting the biggest enemy. <laughs> That's so kind of you. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I just really, you know, you know, first of all, your, your persistence and, you know, attempting five times. I mean, that just shows how persistent you were in like acknowledging, I know I can be in a better position than, than I am. And I think that that's how a lot of people are operating right now. And, you know, like helping them understand that it may not be you. You may be experiencing something that you can get help with. It's, I think, going to be critically important to, like, you know, what I would call this is, you know, when, when the president forms his task force, and he starts to think about the recovery from the pandemic, mental health should be like on the recovery. I mean, people have said we need a mental health head of mental health for our country. Now, Vivek Murthy was an amazing voice for mental health, but trying to get, you know, a more formalized role Yeah, now he has said that he will make mental health one of three priorities. And to be honest with you, I didn't even put the other two in my mind. Me too, by the way. Same. (laughs) Me too. Same. I was like, well, he said that one. I'll take it. (laughs) Yeah, I'll take that. But yeah, I I just think that this is, um, I do think it's the public health issue of the day. And there is so much suffering. You know, the numbers that I was reading a report the other day about the numbers of depression and um, and isolation, particularly with adolescents, 
Um, like we, I think we're really on the heels of some of some serious problems. And then, you know, when, when schools open back up because people sort of not been socializing, that's going to open up a whole new problem. And people know? at so work. I, I mean, just, even people going back to the office. Yeah. We're just at the beginning of really understanding this thing, but that's why the work that you're doing and having these types of conversations to help frame where we are um, is, is going to be super important. Kevin, I can't thank you enough for taking time. I, I Getting to talk to you is like uh, um, just an energy bullet for me. I mean, it's, it's so just fun. knowing you're out there doing this work. And I'm really excited to share this with other people and, and just keep an eye on Hurdle. I'm excited to see what happens with Hurdle in the future. So thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you. And thank you for um, the work that you're doing. Thank you for your courage and sharing your own, your own personal story as well.